Prayer is an invitation to turn off the noise. It's an invitation to shut down the phone, to ignore the emails, and to enter a conversation with someone who loves you. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation with the God of all grace who loves you with a relentless love. And in Luke 11, Jesus' disciples are so moved by his commitment to prayer, they ask him, can you teach us to do that? And Jesus goes on to give them a prayer that includes insight into how God feels about us and how we should approach him. It's a prayer that confronts our misconceptions and quiets our anxious fears and recenters us on what matters most. I need that. I need a prayer that will confront my misconceptions, quiet my anxious fears, and recenter me on what matters most. And, and this prayer does that. Let's, let's read it together in Luke 11. Verse one, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples and they're speaking of John the Baptist. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the gift of your holy word. And so on this first day of the year, we, we, we together come and we're gathered around your word. We're eager to receive all that you have for us. And so help us, Lord, to, to have that posture, to receive, and to run with what you give us. Lord, we thank you for how you equip us and strengthen us on this journey, in this life and Lord, we just pray that you would, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage by your spirit, that you would instruct us by your spirit, that, that you would, uh, Lord, renew and refresh, that you would give categories, that you would help us to learn practices that will lead to a healthy, vibrant life of, of following you, Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Four things this morning. One, the priority of prayer. Two, Jesus teaches us what to say. Three, how to say it. 
And number four, turn off the noise. Number one, priority of prayer. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, then you've, you've come to see or you're coming to see the priority of prayer in the life of a follower. And I don't simply mean rattling off a list of requests, though that's fine to do, to rattle off a list of requests. But what I mean really is communing with the living God. What I mean is drawing near to him with express gratitude and love and desire, leaning into him, recognizing his presence, recognizing his activity in your life, recognizing that prayer is something we've been given. It's something that actually has been opened up to us. What a privilege. And that without it, we will fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. Without it, we'll move along in life and in ministry unaware of the immeasurable benefits that are only found in times of prayer. What is the culture of local church St. Pete? Been asking that question here at the beginning of the year. What are we known for? It's a good question to ask. We're almost four years old. I think a culture has formed here by now. Well, here's another question. What do we want to be known for? Have you thought about that? Someone recently told me that we were known as like the hipster church. I'm like, what? <laughs> How is it? And see, see what I'm doing here? <laughs> They're right. No. The hipster church. I think it's Parker's mustache. I don't know what it is. Now Mark has a mustache. Did you see it? We all saw it. Mark, we all saw it. I walked in. I was like, happy new year. (laughs) What is the culture of local? What do we want to be known for? We want to be known as a people who follow Jesus, who are growing in our desire and our passion to know him and to obey him. We want to be known as a people who walk in love. Can people look in and say they love one another? They love one another, truly. We also want to be known as a people of prayer. Can people look into this community and see that we're a people of prayer? Is prayer woven into the fabric of, of what we do and who we are? If you've been with us for any length of time, you've maybe heard that we have these core desires. These are desires that we wrote up just even before the, the church was a church. These are desires that we put together that we, we wanted to be about. And the first one is this, expectation and dependency. That's our core desire, number one. And, and it goes like this. We believe God will do great things for our good and his glory. We want to trust him and lean on him through prayer in every way. That's our core desire, number one a people of expectation and dependency. But over the years, I've sat down with many Christians to discuss uh, their faith, and and we get to the areas that they need to grow in the most. And and the two areas that come up the most would be evangelism and prayer. Uh, They feel, many people feel guilty because they've not been evangelistic, they've not shared their faith, or they've not been a a person of prayer. Uh, But prayer is usually at the top. And I think part of the reason is that we assume people understand prayer, and they, the truth is they really oftentimes haven't been taught or it hasn't been modeled for them. Maybe all of this is brand new for you. Maybe you're brand new to Christianity. You're brand new to learning to follow the ways of Jesus, and, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, 
and I'm excited. Uh, maybe you've been in this for a while and you've really struggled with prayer and you're just like, man, I, just, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over. I don't, I don't really carve out time to do this. Um, let's trust the Lord to give us a renewed vision for what it means to be a people of prayer. Have you ever seen someone doing something that made you stand in awe? You're like, man, I want to do that. Maybe your response was, teach me. Show me how to do that. Well, Luke 11 begins with Jesus praying yet again. He was a man of prayer. And one of his disciples, they they say, teach us to to do that. Teach us to pray. Now, you can watch a how-to video on pretty much anything on YouTube. Um, And and, and I've sat, you know... Jesus, by the way, is not a YouTuber, um, but he, he does give his disciples here a how-to on prayer, and I just love this. And the truth is, I've sat in on many classes on prayer, uh, lectures, um, read books, I've, 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 I've taken in a lot of good material, but here in Luke 11, we have the master himself teaching us on prayer. This is a true master class. A true master class. Verse two, it's, it's not if we pray, but when. He says when you pray. And so prayer is expected. It's part of a devoted life of following Jesus. Each then phrase that he gives us in this prayer has the potential to launch us into detailed places of prayer. Each phrase that he gives us, each word really has the potential to launch us into a place of contemplation and intercession. It's a framework that he gives us. It's an outline, a structure. He teaches us what to say. And that's point number two, what to say. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The prayer begins with the word Father. We're invited to call God Father. Now, we can easily forget its significance. We are welcomed into God's presence as his children. He looks on us with a father's love. This is radical. It's it's profound. You know, when we think of the word Father, it, it comes with all kinds of maybe, I you know, images, and maybe you grew up and you didn't have a good father, you didn't have someone modeling what it means to really love you sacrificially and be devoted to your well-being and look out for your interest. But when we, when we hear this word, father, uh, that, that's the implication here. He is looking out for our best interest. He loves us. I can remember almost 24 years ago now when, when Val and I were married, and I, I realized I have a wife. The word wife just came alive. It took on so much more meaning than before. The freedom and the intimacy of having Valerie as my wife, it far outmatched what we shared together before. Far outmatched. But in God, we have a father. Just think of that word in all caps, father. Not everyone has the privilege of calling God father. So where do we get this right? John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right. In Galatians chapter 
4, in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, here's what God did. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's why he came. Jesus came to redeem us, to purchase us out of our sin and shame, and so that we might now be adopted sons and daughters of of God. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, this intimate term, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's hard to grasp, I know. This is where we've received the right to be called children of God. What does it mean? It means that you are loved more than you will ever know. It means that there is no one more committed to your well-being than God is. It means that you have his attention when you're weak and scared and when you can't even speak one word that makes sense. He loves you. J.I. Packer, he writes this, he's my father and he's God in heaven. He's God in heaven and he's my father. Grasp this or, or, or let it grasp you. Then tell God what you feel about it. And that will be the worship that our Lord wanted to evoke when he gave us this thought pattern. Grasp this, let it grasp you, and tell God how you feel about it. Father. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Father. That's how we begin. Notice the prayer that begins with concern, goes on to, 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 to give us concern for God's glory and honor above all things. Not with requests. Not with this list of requests. Verse 2, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Holy, consecrated, sacred. So we could say it this way. God, let your name be acknowledged. Let it be honored, respected, and revered in my life. We want to see you as holy and set apart both in our life and in the lives of those around us. And so it's personal and it's evangelistic. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, thank you that I can, I can come to you as a son and that you hear me, that you, you care for me, that you love me, that, that you've welcomed me in, that you've given me this right to boldly approach you in prayer. Hallowed be your name. May your name, may who you are, because your, your name represents everything about you, may your name be exalted, be seen as holy. May I revere you for who you are. And may others come to see you in your holiness. May your name be honored in my life, in my behavior. You see how this phrase, Father, hallowed be your name, it just launches me into a time of prayer, reflection. This is personal. It's evangelistic. Let it launch you into a place of prayer. Your kingdom come, he says. This is the rule and reign of Jesus over us. Your kingdom come. This is a present reality and a future hope. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his message. What's he he proclaiming? The rule of God. It's a good and gracious and loving rule. And you've been living under tyranny. You've been living under slavery. But the king has come to save you and bring him into a new kingdom, a kingdom of love and light, a kingdom of peace. It's it's a kingdom you you long for, but you've been fighting against. And I'm the king is what Jesus is saying. 
The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe the good news. Good news. Why is this good news? Because this is your freedom. This is your joy. This is your peace. This is what you were created for. Your kingdom come. It's present reality and a future hope. Jesus is coming back. All things will be made new. Sin done away with. The brokenness and evil. Tears wiped away. Death will be no more. Hard to grasp. So your kingdom come is a present reality as we live under the rule of Jesus. We bow our life to Jesus. And it's a future hope. He's coming again. And so we pray for the advance of his rule and its full manifestation. We can say, God, act quickly. God, show yourself strong here in my life and in St. Pete. Overcome any power that stands against you. Renew this church. Save sinners. Restrain evil. Heal the brokenhearted. Restore those who are sick. Expose injustice. All of this under the heading of your kingdom come. Powerful request. So in the face of opposition, in the face of uncertainty, in the midst of pain and sorrow and grief and tears, we can pray, your kingdom come. Let your rule be evident in my life. May I increasingly live under the reality of your rule, your good and gracious rule. Keep me from just pulling away from the, the, your rule. Help me to bow my life, my actions, my, my, my words, my, my behavior, everything about me. Let your kingdom come. Let others know who you are and bow their life to you. Then it moves into a series of requests. Finally, get it into some requests here. Specific requests. He, he, he teaches us to say, give us, forgive us, and lead us. Notice this isn't me, 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 me. Note the communal aspect of the way Jesus is teaching us how to pray. We're learning from the master now. Verse three, he says, give us our daily bread. And bread covers all, the, all of life's necessities. And in other words, we're saying this. One author says, you are what sustains me. When we say, give us our daily bread, one author says, you are what sustains me. I love that. You are what sustains me. All that I have comes from your hand. You're the giver of life. You keep my heart beating. You give me breath in my lungs. The food on the table ultimately comes from your hand. And so I recognize that. Give us our daily bread. Provide my every necessity. You're the source of life. You provide our day-to-day -day needs. Keep us from believing the lie that all that we have comes from our hands. It doesn't. It comes from yours. And so it's a denial pushing against self-sufficiency. It's an acknowledgement of dependence on God and his provision. It's living with our eyes open to his provision. Destroy the illusion of control that we're trying to hold on to. We don't control life. You're in control. Verse four, forgive us our sins, our debts. This is a confession of our sin, opportunity to confess our sin to the Lord, Opportunity to express our desire to live in a way that honors the Father in light of the forgiveness that we've received. How could we hold on to unforgiveness? It, it, we, we, like, I'm, I'm praying this prayer last night. I'm saying, Lord, if there's any unforgiveness in me towards anyone in my life, any bitterness, yes, I've been hurt. Yes, people have done me wrong. But Lord, if there's anything I'm holding against anyone, please show me. I want to make it right. Help me to walk in forgiveness. Help me to trust that you're the judge of all. I'm not the judge. 
I can entrust this to you because you judge justly. You're fair. You're right. You see all the, the stuff happening and what people say and how they think and all the, ins, uh, the, the inward thoughts and motives of people's hearts. You know it all. So help me, Lord. And thank you for the forgiveness that I can freely receive from you. And so in light of that, help me to extend forgiveness towards others. Can you pray this from your heart? We forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I mean, can you pray that from your heart? He goes on to say, lead us not into temptation. Keep us far from temptation, from lust, from pride, from hypocrisy, from envy, from indifference, disregard for scripture, all of these things, this numbness towards the beauty of who you are. Keep me far from that. Help us to see that there's not a moment we don't need your grace in this fight. All right, he taught us what to say. We have something to say. Now he teaches us how to say it. Now, in verses 5 through 13, he teaches us how to say it. And, and just imagine Jesus saying, all right, imagine what would happen if, if a man came to you at midnight. Now, this would be a funny story. I think sometimes we miss the humor in Jesus, but it's here. There's a lot of humor here. Uh, the person received a friend who was traveling, and hospitality in the Middle East then and now is equal to like a sacred duty. And so for a guest to arrive and there not be enough to eat is an issue of honor and really would have been something that the entire community would have shared in. And so the man goes to a friend at midnight and asks for bread. Now the man inside, you can imagine him with gritted teeth and with a shouting whisper. You know what a shouting whisper is. Are you kidding me? My kids are sleeping. You're going to wake the kids. <laughs> and we're like, you know, he's not, he's not in a split plan house, all right? He's in the same room with his children. <laughs> You're going to wake. He's aggravated. It's funny. Verse 8, he'll get up because of the shameless persistence of the one asking for for bread. That's what Jesus is saying. He'll get up because of the shameless persistence. The idea is regardless of the time or the place or the person, this man who needs bread for his, his guest is on a mission. And the friend who said, go away, he will get up. Did he, did he get up to uphold his own honor? I think that's part of it. But Jesus moves, home, moves on to drive home the point in verse 9 and 10 when he says, and I tell you, Ask, seek, and knock. He says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The point is we're to pray with shameless persistence. Refuse to give up. Be persistent in your prayer. It's he tells us, ask, seek, knock in verse 9. Then it's repeated again in verse 10. He's highlighting the certainty of the response. You'll receive, you are always heard, and you'll always receive an answer in the way that God sees best. You will always receive an answer. God is not your genie in a bottle to do your bidding as however you please. Like, okay, God, three wishes. You said to ask, receive. I'm asking. Come on like some kind of divine vending machine. 
I put in what I needed to put in. Now you, 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 you give me what I've asked for. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Now he is eager. He is generous. He is ready. And this is what's so exciting. All three verbs, ask, seek, knock, they are continuous. It's not a one and done that Jesus is telling us. It's ongoing. It's meant to be an ongoing experience. We're invited to do this. Shameless persistence. Are you this way in prayer? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then, with confidence, with confidence, and the word really means this freedom in speaking or boldness in speech and assurance, almost like, man, you're out of line here. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, because he is our father, we can do this. Shameless persistence, going to him with confidence, speaking up where others might say, shh, shh what are you doing? No, no, he's, he's my father. He's invited me to ask. I, I can do this. He's given me the permission to do this. It's going to require discipline on our part. At some point, you have to begin to speak if you want to pray. Prayer is work at times. It takes effort, but it turns on you, and it becomes the sweetest thing you'll ever experience. I mean, I, the journey of local church St. Pete, it's been, it's been one of just seeing God work in awesome ways. Just, I go along, and I'll, I'll say to uh, individuals on staff or my family, I'm like, you're seeing this, right? Are you seeing this? Are you seeing what God is doing? Because I have a front row seat. And, and because of the, the, the front row seat that I have to the, the brokenness of this community, I also see the beauty of God meeting people in that time of brokenness and bringing deliverance and healing and salvation and renewal. It's awesome. So how should we approach the Father in prayer? With boldness, with shameless persistence. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Then he goes on to give another example of a, a father. He says in verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? We read this, we're like, no. No good father is going to do that. Everyone listening to Jesus' teaching would have been like, oh, no way. No father would give his child a serpent or a scorpion. That's crazy. It's unthinkable. That's right. It's unthinkable. And he goes on to say, how much more? How much more? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, you're broken, you're crooked, you're corrupt, if, if that's, but you're still giving good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what's going on here? Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater. Consider the Father's love and compassion, how much far greater it is than an earthly father. You know, in a healthy, loving relationship, if a child calls on his father for help, what does that father do? Helps. Leans in, provides, protects. My four-year-old, he's been waking up at night. He's got this new thing going on. He comes to me, to my side of the bed. <laughs> and he has said these things, I'm sad. I'm sad. What do I say? Yeah, I'm sad too. You just woke me up. Get out of here. <laughs> That's what I want to say. Oh, you're sad? It's 1.30 in the morning. Let's 
Let's go talk about it. No, go. <laughs> you just need to be tucked in again. <laughs> or I'm scared or, or I'm whatever. But he, he could come to me, to my side of the bed. <laughs> he couldn't, wouldn't go to mom's side of the bed. No. There's this how much more response that we need to hear. How much more will your heavenly father give good things? You know, Matthew says good gifts. Luke here says the Holy Spirit. Jesus, again, is arguing from lesser to greater. There's no greater gift than God's presence, the the gift of the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of God the Spirit. And so he's arguing from lesser to greater. He will give us good things. How should we approach the Father then? With expectation and confidence. So we're to approach him with shameless persistence, and we're to approach him with expectation and confidence. Finally, turn off the noise. No one likes to be in a conversation where you know the other person isn't really engaged, right? And so this is about a posture towards God that says, God, you have my full attention. You have my my full attention. I'm distracted. I want to turn off the noise. I want to carve out time. I just finished a book called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. Learning to to put that device down. Learning to, I'm a a sort of minimalist already, so that book just grabbed my attention. I was like, okay, digital minimalism. Okay, I like this. Deleting apps that you don't need. Reducing the amount of time we're spending on our devices and finding more time to do other more productive things. Give yourself permission to say no to certain things so that you can say yes to prayer. Let me say that again. Give yourself the permission to say no to certain things so that you can say yes to prayer. Now, this especially at first might be an intimidating practice. It might feel strange to you, but set a time and a place to pray. I like to walk. I walk around my block and uh, I don't know what neighbors are thinking or if they see me uh, walking and talking usually eight, nine o'clock at night, uh, but it doesn't matter. And sometimes my kids will walk with me for like one lap, <laughs> like you're going again. Um, but w- what works for you? Habits of prayer just won't happen. A culture of prayer here at local won't just happen. And so I have some recommended practices for us as we, we come to a close here. Here are some practices. You'll see them on the screen. Decide when and where to pray. Decide when and where to pray. Pray in secret. Matthew 6 tells us your father will see and hear you in that place of secret where no one sees. Get up early. Jesus did this before the sun rose. He would get up early and pray. He'd go off to a desolate place and pray. Take a walk. Talk out loud. It helps me. Talk out loud. Write out your prayers. Sometimes when there's all the noise going on in my head and I can't focus and I just can't even seem to think straight, just write it out. Write it out. Then silently reflect and listen as you pray. Just slow down. It's not about how many words you get out. When someone asks for prayer, do it then and there where it's possible. Pray for them. Offer to pray for someone. Practice prayer. Keep notes along the way of things that you've asked God for. Use Jesus' prayer here in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Use New Testament prayers. Use Old Testament prayers. Use the Psalms. Adopt them as your own. It's okay. 
Say them. Hear yourself saying them. However it comes out, however you pray, whether it's a sentence or a paragraph, whether it's three minutes or 30 minutes, prayer is always a deep expression, an intimate expression, if we can believe it, an expression that brings God great delight, no matter what its form, no matter what its form. Remember that prayer is conversation, not performance. It's not a monologue. Remember that this is a privilege that's been won for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. He's made a way for us to be able to boldly come before the throne of grace and find mercy. And remember that this is a spiritual battle. The enemy, the deceiver, Satan, does not want you to pray. There'll be all kinds of distractions and excuses and reasons not to pray. We've carved out some time in our on our calendar as a church to pray. And I want to invite you into these gatherings. Every second Tuesday of the month, we pray here from 7 to 8 o'clock. They don't feel very spectacular every time, but I'll tell you this, every time I leave that hour of prayer, I am renewed. I'm like, okay, let's go. Come on. God, you heard us. You're good. And, And really, those second Tuesday prayers have been like, markers in our history of God meeting us every step of the way. And we try to carve out additional time every Sunday from 825 to 840, especially for those serving in our first gathering, we pray every Sunday morning. Um, and then we have from uh, every so often times of prayer and praise. We're having one at the end of January. Let me encourage you, please come out to this. We want to set aside time just to, just to slow down to listen, to have our Bibles open, to pray, to pray for one another, to trust the Spirit to work in us and through us. It's a good practice. It's going to require discipline on our part, intentionality. I can look back over the past year on times of private and corporate prayer that felt anything but spectacular, but times that I knew were significant moments. There's nothing marking that day on a calendar. I didn't post about it on social media, I went to him in private. Oftentimes I'll say, walk with me as I walk with you. Walk with me, Lord, as I walk with you. Father, I just kind of hover there, Father. We're all tempted, all tempted to dismiss God as indifferent, as uninterested, as uninvolved, as out there somewhere, but not concerned about our needs and desires and the details of our life. But Jesus has given us a prayer that confronts these misconceptions, hasn't he? Jesus has given us a prayer that quiets our anxious fears. Jesus has given us a prayer that recenters us on what matters most. Prayer is an invitation to turn off the noise. Shut it down. Shut down the phone. Ignore the emails. Enter a conversation with someone who loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the instruction that you've brought us through your word. Continue to confront our misconceptions. Continue to quiet our anxious fears. Continue to recenter us on what matters most. Help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, help us to be marked as a church by prayer. That it would be the knee-jerk reaction to life circumstances. That we would quickly go to you first in prayer that you'd show yourself faithful 
Thank you for the way you've taught us to pray. Jesus, you've taught us to come with shameless persistence, with confidence and trust. We want to do that. In Christ's name, amen.